Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wednesday Axon Bulletin. It is 12.30. You have reached hump day in the middle of the week. It's all downhill to the weekend from here. And starting that journey with me today is Amy Canavan. Amy, how's it going? 
All right, Colin, can you hear me? Yes, we had some technical issues before we came on air, but we're glad that we've got them resolved. Um, so, Amy, this is a bit of breaking ground here on A Celtic State of Mind. We're going to have some input from some contributors later on. Um, yeah, we've got four lined up today. And if you're looking to get involved in this, which we'll be doing weekly on a Wednesday going forward, then reach out to Paul, uh, reach out to A Celtic State of Mind on Twitter, all the avenues that you have to get in touch. And if you want to get your point across you can also do it daily in the comment section but if you want to join us on a Wednesday get in touch with Paul and we'll arrange that going forward next week we will shortly introduce our first um, contributor today who is a face that you will be familiar with it's Kevin McCluskey Um, Kevin has joined us a couple of times on a Wednesday um, and as this is the trial, we're, we're having Kevin come in as our first one today. Um, he was telling me bef- telling me before we came on air that um, his wife's on the babysitting duty, so we might see another rogue contributor come in in the background. Um, but there's plenty to talk about today, um, just like there always is in the world of Celtic. I mean, it's now been 70 days, Amy. Um, ten weeks ago since Neil Lennon left the club. Now, we were just about to come on air ten weeks ago um, when the news broke. I mean, you, you think back as far as that... Uh, 10 weeks sounds like a long time but it's completely flew by hasn't it oh it really it really has it's like like when your school holidays flying and like (laughs) they're over in a flash that's what it's been like 10 weeks it's unbelievable Um, and has anything really changed well you tell me well, I think we will be discussing that later on um, with one of the contributors who will join us. Uh, we'll also be discussing should Celtic keep Ryan Christie? Now, that's almost like my trigger word, Ryan Christie. Um, although I did shock Amy a couple of weeks ago when I suggested that Ryan Christie could come back in to um, the first team. And yeah, that was the response I got then. And uh, do you know what? It's now came out that he's got six months left on his deal, but we will have Alan Morrison coming on to explain why um, we should have... Ryan Christie here for the foreseeable future which will be an interesting oh. one we'll also have some other people getting involved and as I said if you'd like to get involved next week then get in touch with Paul and we can certainly arrange that going forward um, but let's move on and let's get our first guest in um, he's coming all the way from Hungary um, so it's great to have him joining us today welcome to the Bulletin Kevin McCluskey, Kevin how's it going? Yeah not bad Colin thanks very much yeah. yeah, it's good to have you on today. And Kevin, you are the first guest on the Axom dial-in, phone-in, whatever it's wanted to be called. So what would you like to discuss today? Yeah, um, I would like to kind of discuss the fan engagement element um, from Celtic this season. So and I think we all know that it's been a kind of unmitigated disaster of a season on and off the pitch for Celtic. But the kind of PR-wise, we haven't done ourselves any favour at all with fan engagement or really... The complete lack of it, especially as you say, 70 days since Lennon's gone, there's been no real communication from the board as to what moves we're making to get a new man in place. So, linking in as well with what's going on down in England just now with the fan pressure groups rising up following the, is it the European Super League, you've got Liverpool talking to the spirit of Shankly, you've got mm-hmm. Chelsea bringing in fans to board meetings now. Really just kind of want to raise that and see what do you think Celtic can do that way to get fans back on side and to engage more with the support and actually make us feel more a part of the club again and, and kind of involved in the decision making going forward 
Amy, it's something we've discussed on the bullet in a number of times this year is the, the disconnect between the fans and the club. Going on Kevin's point, what could be done going forward to sort of bring the, the togetherness um, of the board and the club together? The fans, well, sorry, together. Well, yeah, as, as Kevin said, every day that John Kennedy is in, in the role, that gap is getting bigger and disconnect is getting larger because it's just another day, another hour, another minute that the that the club aren't connecting with fans and, you know, there's been ample opportunities for them to, to get in touch. Just We've said it time and time again, just that, yes, we are in search of a manager, we are still looking and keep it as simple as that. Now you look at the model, I think it broke maybe last night, but Chelsea, how they're going to think from July, I think it is that they're going to be bringing in fans and, you know, maybe that is something that Celtic would need to be doing. It needs to be something quite colossal like that. I know maybe a year ago we'd be saying, wow, that's quite drastic. There, there's no way Celtic would do that. But the, the disconnect that, that has transpired this season and that has grown is, and is continuing to grow, it needs to be something that big. A simple you know, message, oh, we love you, whatever it may be, that won't be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the fans can see past that now that, like as I've said, there have been so many opportunities for communication, and and there has been nothing. We can't even see a lack of communication now. There has quite simply been nothing, none at all. So it needs to be something large. I think along the scales of what Chelsea are trying to to implement, and you know maybe see how it works with them first. I don't know, but it needs to be something I think similar to that, a, a big move because maybe something that they the board and the club would have thought maybe would have appeased the fans mm-hmm. over the last few years they won't get away with that now because this season is it, it, it's been breaking point hasn't it in so, in so many aspects and I think especially for, for fan engagement as well I think it was very telling when you took a look at what happened over the weekend now obviously there was the sort of boycott of social media in support of the, the movement across football and across sport um, and then the first message that comes out of Celtic from that was about a fixture rearrangement. Um, and that was the fact that the St Johnston game, which is the game where everyone's to submit um, banners and pictures for Scott Brown for his final farewell, the last song as it's been said on Twitter, um, that was that was the thing that Celtic messaged about. Never mind the reaction from uh, the players, from the, the management for uh, what happened on Sunday. Um, the, the disgrace of what was Sunday afternoon never mind the fact of well um, here's a, an update on what's happening at the club or I mean th- we've been told that you're meant to submit banners and submit um, jerseys that can be put around the stadium for the Scott Brown thing and it, we were told that we would be given an update as to how to do that now that game's next Wednesday there's nothing on that we had the women's team that had a fantastic 8-0 victory over 4 for Farmington at the weekend. We didn't even hear about that. The first thing that Celtic tweeted out was a fixture arrangement. To me, I was only surprised that it wasn't a happy birthday announcement um, because that's the way that Celtic seemed to go this season. Now, Eddie Gribbins coming in here saying, how many fans have called for an update or an announcement or anything from the Celtic board? Completely ignoring the fans' request is disgusting. We are Celtic. The board are a disgrace. Now, it's a really bold statement there from Eddie and a lot of Celtic fans will definitely agree with a lot of what's been said. Now, the one person this always seems to come back to, and Kevin, I'll be interested to get your views on this, is it always comes back to the SLO, John Paul Taylor. Now, as a man that's been in his job since July 2013, um, and probably right up until this season, um, was generally there for kind of simple requests from the, the fans. It was always a case of, my supporters bus needs a, a bus pass for the park. How can you get it? John Paul Taylor will sort it out. I'm looking to get a signed top, John Paul Taylor will help me put it in the right direction, but this season has come down to the points of we need we needed him to feed back to the board that um, 
it was a disgrace that Lennon was kept in his job for so long. It's a disgrace the way that the, the board have treated um, the fans. And I, I feel as if his role this season went from just being that sort of uh, go-to to help out fans to almost the, the middleman between the, the fans and the board. And that must have been a really difficult position to find himself in. Yeah, I think it would be. Um, I think the role of the SLO is hugely important, especially at a club like Celtic. Um, I can't, for the life of me, understand why we've only got the one, because we're a massive club with a massive support base, and I've got so much sympathy for John Paul Taylor and the job that he's been forced into doing this season. Uh, But yeah, I I definitely wouldn't envy him this year having Mm. that role. Um, Yeah, and Amy, one of the points that was brought up when Eddie said there is is the lack of communication from the club. Now, I also take a really keen interest in ice hockey and I support the the Glasgow clan. Now, they haven't played a match since February 2020, it would have been, sorry. Um, They've not been able to play a game. But every month we get a statement from the club saying this is what's happening, this is what we're planning to do going forward. In fact, there was a statement came out today saying that they're looking to buy Brayhead Arena as the, the, to be the permanent home of the team. Now, we, we get updates all the time from who is the general manager, Gareth Chalmers, at the, cl- at the club. Now, this is a team and an organisation that are far less professional than what Celtic are and yet they're still able to keep that fan base in tow, they're able to keep the fans updated on what's going on behind the scenes um, and it's as simple as a five, six hundred word letter or statement that goes out, that's not a lot to ask from the Celtic board is it? No it's not and I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, I think everything this season has been has been pretty unprofessional um, you know we talk, we talk about statements even you can go back to that Dermot Desmond interview that wasn't very professional was it or <laughs> perhaps too professional and it was so scripted so who knows it's all, all these little things are all adding towards it so as you say believe me five six hundred word statement it's not a lot and and, and that's kind of what I, I touched upon earlier it's not even real but really the lack of communication now it, it's becoming non-existent as you say if it's not a birthday announcement or a, a fixture amendment it's it's constant and it's all i've seen to say all season but read the room and there has been a severe lack in reading the room yeah, and just the point coming up here from you and Stars, don't get why a big club like Celtic have been silent for so long. That's the point I was just making. I mean, my ice hockey team are able to put statements out like that. Surely Celtic can turn something around in a couple of hours. They need to get their finger out and announce Eddie Howe soon, or supporters won't bother getting a season ticket for next year. Now, Kevin, see when I look at that, to me, I think the next big statement that comes out of Celtic Park is either going to be the managerial announcement or the fact that the season books are on sale. Now, when you look at it, most teams across Scotland now have put out their season book packages for next year. Certain ones are doing refunds depending on how many tickets are sold. I know that's the the story up in Aberdeen. I think if they sell um, 15,000 season tickets, then they'll get about £200 back or something like that on the the cost of their book. Celtic now know that they can show the games on the Pass to Paradise with the deal being agreed with Sky Sports. I mean... It's the, the question will come up, Kevin. What comes first, the managerial announcement or the season book sales? Because the longer this goes on, I think it's going to be the latter. Yeah, um, it really should be the managerial announcement because that's the big one. That's the monkey off the back kind of thing. We need to get that resolved. And that gives the fans the confidence for next season. Um, if you announce the season books before that, it's the, the old one of it. You don't know what you're buying for next season. 
And it's a lot of money to invest on a promise of Eddie Howe when it could turn out to be Jack Ross. And no one's going to be happy with that. And you, you'll feel like, once again, you've been cheated out your money and taken for granted by the club. So for me, the next big announcement has to be the manager. And it's got to be a big one. Yeah, and Amy, this all goes back to what Kevin first was speaking about, is the fan engagement. We mentioned that Chelsea have now got fans on the board. We spoke about the role of John Paul Taylor. Now, this is going to be the biggest season I think Celtic have had in a long time in trying to shift these season books. Where, do you think the fact that the gap between the, the information that's coming out from the boardroom and the fans, that's going to have a detrimental effect on sales unless something actually changes and you do see the appointment of a figure like Eddie Howe at the club? I think that goes without saying. Uh, you, you can see the comments coming in as well, and as both you guys have touched upon, the, the announcement of a manager has to come first. You know, I think everybody on this bulletin has said so over the past 10 plus weeks. It's definitely been more than just these 10 weeks. So it, it has to, because as, as Kevin says, if, if it's the other way around, you don't, you don't know what you're signing up for. Um, mm. What are you paying all this money to, to see? So it's, it's a tricky one as well. The the club I say the sales aren't there. The club will obviously there'll be a, a deflection on, on COVID, and there's no doubt. Obviously, COVID will come come into play with a lot of people, but there there is going to be something there if there is a lack of communication. And and I can see it having a detrimental effect, and I think anyone can because as Kevin said, then it's so simple. But if it's not the managerial announcement first, quite simply, what are you signing up for? Exactly, and Scott Mackay comes in basically saying the same thing. Can't justify giving this board another penny of my money. Breaks my heart as I've had a season ticket for 20 years. The board have made it clear how they feel about the fans, and I think one of Dominic Mackay's biggest tasks will be to try and rebuild any sort of relationship that was previously there between the fans and um, the board at the club. Um, How he goes about that, I mean that's above any of our pay grades that's what he's been brought in to pay the big um, being paid the big bucks for and all we can hope for is that this season is something that we can put behind us and going forward we'll see things improve across the board just like we managed to see Amy's tech improve before we came on air and Kevin you had some issues as well so we're glad we got that all ironed out and thank you very much for being the first guest on the Axom Dial-In it's been a pleasure having you on ah, Cheers, thanks for having me in again so Kevin will depart us and very shortly we'll be joined by a second Kevin. It's Kevin Graham from Scream Celica and from the, the uh, sorry, Axon Monday Club. Amy, that first one went okay, eh? That's not too bad, yeah. It's, it's a lot nicer and at least I know Kevin is. <laughs> David Clarkson coming in with this. By the time this stream starts, Eddie Howe will be announced. Look, we started this stream early so that we could get all the technical issues out the road and at 12.29 we were still trying to fight with them. So it was just good to get everyone on. Now, We've not tested Kevin Graham out, but let's see how he is when he comes into the stream. Kevin Graham, how's it going? You're right, lads and ladies. What's up? So, can, Amy, can you hear him? I can hear Kev. Can, can you hear? No, is it on my Kev, can you say something else? Hi, what's happening here? Like, <laughs> No, we just got you. Here, like? no, it's all good. It's all good, Kevin. We're just winding you up. Um, good to have you on. Nice, nice bonnet. Liking it. I, I, I know there's some folk thought I was missing and were worried about me last night. I, I, I heard that there were folk missing my dulcet tone, so I thought I would pop in. <laughs> I heard there was a bit of a search party being sent out, but after Russell took took the wheel and not just behind his bus for a change, then it was good to have him on board. IH Decorating coming in saying, Celtic just pretend to be a big club, they sure don't act like one. Now, Kevin, a big warm welcome to the Wednesday dial in. It's good to have you on. Um, what's the point that you'd like to raise? 
The point is, we're going into a post-COVID world now, and we've been a year without fans in the ground. There's a bit of a clamour for Celtic to offer some discount on season tickets next season, because... they're, they're maybe morally obliged to do it. Mm-hmm. It's probably it's probably the right thing to do. So Don Mackay uh, sold the stadium name for Murrayfield. Mm-hmm. What, what would you actually think of Don Mackay selling the stadium name for Celtic Park to to bridge the financial gap that we've had this season and also to uh, fund the rebuild? Amy, I'll throw that one out to you. If Don McKay, one of his first tasks was to sell the naming rights um, of Celtic Park. How do you think that would go down with the fans, considering what we just discussed about this disconnect between the board and the fan base? I'd say no. I, I think I'd, I don't I don't know. I, this is the worst I've ever heard anything sort of like this. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd. I'd appreciate that at all. So, Kevin, obviously he's changed it to BT Murrayfield, so it's kept the Murrayfield name there. If you're looking to sort of sell the, the naming rights to a potential sponsor, I mean, I think it has been rumoured before that, that um, Guinness and things like that. Now, who would you be trying to target here, Kevin? I wouldn't be trying to target anybody, but I just think it would probably be a route that the PLC would go down. Mm. Uh, they would have a look at it because they know the majority of the fans uh, call Celtic Park paradise, the holy ground. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Parkhead, there's a whole list of names for it. So it would only really be for European nights. For example, I've never, I've often wondered why Fly Emirates haven't actually just moved across the road as well. Because of mm. the Fly Emirates Arena um, across the road from Celtic Park. And it's just one of these things. The PLC will always be looking of ways to make up the financial shortfall. Yeah. And for them, this might be, be seen as a simple way of doing it. I think it's a, a very European thing as well. When you look across the, the leagues um, in Europe, especially the Bundesliga, 80% of stadiums in the Bundesliga actually are named after the sponsor. When you think about it, you've got Bayern with the Allianz and things like that. So um, I think maybe one of the only ones, and I might be wrong here, is Dortmund. Dortmund's isn't sold, I don't think. Maybe yeah. someone will be able to... Man. 
No. Not 100% sure. Someone might be able to correct me on this, but I mean, our old friends at Duffin Phelps, um, they actually did a report into this back in 2019, um, and they suggested that the likes of your Barcelonas and Real Madrids would get somewhere in the region of £36.5 million a year to sell the naming rights to the stadium. Uh, teams like Schalke and Porto, teams that we would say should be at Celtic's level, would get somewhere in the region of three to £7 million a year. Now, if you're talking about that over, say, a four-year deal, averaging it at five million, you're talking twenty million pounds. Amy, that's a, a big kind of input into Celtic's finances, considering the fact that we do rely heavily on things like ticket revenue coming in, season tickets. Having that additional couple of million pounds could be the difference of get going out and getting your number one target. If that was put across to the fan base that this is bridging the gap, this is helping to build the transfer kitty, would that be something that sweetens the deal? I don't know. I, I'm really that I'm really being thrown a curveball by this one. I kind of what you're saying. Like I get it. Like I really do. And like you say, if you look across, like you say, Germany and the majority, as you say, are. And I think Dortmund maybe is. It's. Um, I, I get it, but I just think the traditional fan fan base. I, I just think right now we're trying to go on about like the last talk point we. Kevin McCluskey was obviously fan engagement, and you're trying to keep the fans on board. I just think selling the name is massive. I know some people are saying that it's not big deals. At the end of the day, you can still call it what you want. Who, How many people actually do call it BT Murrayfield? People do just refer to it as Murrayfield. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I'm quite a traditionalist in that sense. I think I know. I'm feeling a bit iffy about it. Well, I mean, just on that point you just made there, people call it Murrayfield. They don't call yeah. it BT Murrayfield. So would you not just simply just call it Celtic Park? It doesn't matter. I mean, I guess it will matter the name of the company in front of it, and we'll get into that in a second. But if it was, say, as Kevin's saying, Emirates Celtic Park, would that make any difference to you? You'd just call it Celtic I Park. It I don't know. I just think it would. I think right now, I think maybe because it's just been chucked at me, but I think it would take a while to get I think it would. So, Kevin, if you come back next week, Amy will give you an answer on yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we've just got the comment coming up here from the Urban Culture. If it's to happen, it would be amusing. If it's Sports Direct, I wouldn't be opposed, by the way. Now, I think it's something that would really split the fan base, but it does come back to the fact of picking the right partner here. Now, we've saw some PR disasters from the club over recent months. Um, we spoke about last week about the partnership with is it Dahu International, the Chinese company, um, and I got slaughtered um, by someone saying that I was anti-Chinese, which was um, quite a ridiculous comment. Uh, but you also see things about Celtic putting out a tweet um, about a community partnership with a debt recovery agency. Now, it's coming away from the fact of what the club was founded on. It's coming away from the kind of morals of the club. So picking the right sponsor will be massive. And Gary Mesh comes in here to say, I've always called our home pitch Parkhead, not Celtic Park. So I don't have any issue with this at all. Now, Kevin, if we were to sort of try and put this out to um, Brian Walsh then correcting me saying, it is the secret Signale Duna. Uh, no, yeah. Now, Getting the name, getting the right partner is going to be massive on this. Um, if you get this wrong, it's another thing that could drive a big fork between the fans and the fan base, isn't it, Kevin? It, it could, but then over the last six, seven months, especially during this season, it's something I, I've always been against. That something is just another bit of rampant commercialisation, which I don't want to see our club go down. But then over the last six, seven months, I've seen a large proportion of their fan base want success at any cost. And if the club sold it to them saying, well, this is one way that we're going to get 
to win the league again. I reckon a lot of fans would actually just turn the blind eye at it. Like they turn the blind eye to a lot of things that the club do as long as we're winning on the park. And I don't think it would be that big a deal. It would be a big deal to me, but I would still call it Parkhead. I would. And it would only be when it's been on the TV, you would hear it getting called the Emirates, Emirates Celtic Park or whatever it would be called. Bromsgrove boy coming in here to say the PLC board is a amoral. Sorry, I nearly got that wrong there. They don't represent or consider the fans unbridgeable chasm. Now, this is going back to what I was saying. Getting the right partner will be massive on this. Now, if I look across Scottish football, the two that stick out is the Tony Macaroni Arena at Livingston, or the Spaghetti Ad, as it's been called, um, and the CBD Oil Stadium in Hamilton. Now, if that's the kind of sponsorships that can be gathered by teams in the league, who are we actually going to be targeting here? I would be against it if Celtic came out and said this is now called Daffabet Celtic Park. I think that's that's something that we shouldn't be trying to do. But when you look at it, having a big name like BT, then that's something that can help increase the sort of um, the reputation of the club by being able to get such a big sponsor like that in. I would say that you can attract these names and when it comes round to potentially renewing the shirt sponsorships, renewing other sorts of sponsorships, then you would start moving away from the likes of your Daffabets and maybe trying to entice the big sort of corporations like BT into doing that. Sorry, Pat, I cannot pronounce your second name here. Uh, but he's coming in to say, never rename Celtic Park, never, ever, ever. Now, Amy, this comes back to what Kevin was just saying there. You always call Celtic Park Celtic Park. But do you think this is going to split between the sort of the older fan base that have always known Celtic Park? What's this from <laughs> producer Paul? Get Regatta, the logo can be on Parkers and Parkers. <laughs> Paul's just put me off there, sorry going back to, do you think there'll be a sort of a difference in opinion between the older fan base that have known Celtic Park to be Celtic Park for as long as they know and the sort of newer I say newer, the the sort of younger fan base that have grown up with the idea that Man City's called the Etihad Arsenal Stadium's called the Emirates you've got the Aviva Stadium in Dublin it's just becoming a common thing in modern football that stadiums are now changed to be sponsored by a company well, if that's the case, I'm totally against the mold. I'm fine. <laughs> I don't want that. I think I take a bit of strength in. I think, like, I don't like the Emirates or the Etihad or the Allianz. Like you say, that's not really, I, I much prefer, like, Celtic Park is Celtic Park or Parkhead or Paradise or whatever you want it to be. And I guess that what I'm saying is that if I, if I go to Murrayfield, then I'm still going to Murrayfield. Like, it's not BT Murrayfield, it's... But, Technically, it is BT Murrayfield, and if I'm writing a if I'm if I'm writing a match report on a game at rugby, I have to say that I've been to BT Murrayfield. If I'm writing a match report on a game at Celtic, I don't want to be saying I've been to the Daffabet Celtic Park or whatever it may be. It's, it's, I, I'm not going. No, I disagree with you. I do. I, I'm not for it. T- taking your own personal thoughts out of it though okay. do you think it is a gap between the sort of traditionalist the, the old school Celtic fans and this new younger fan base that's coming through that would probably be more acceptable of Celtic changing the name to say for example BT Celtic Park in all honesty I don't think so because no? I think I, I know amongst my friends we, we mock Tony Macaroni Stadium I just think I know <laughs> spaghetti ad. That's, an easy, that's an easy one to mock and maybe a pure example but I don't think like I, th- I think I'd much rather majority would I've got two two of my really good friends are Arsenal fans and I know that they'd much prefer them it wasn't the Emirates and they're still at, at Highbury like it's just it's not I think 
I think there's an assumption, perhaps, as you say, that maybe the younger generation would, like, because of the Etihad, the Emirates, would, would be more used to it. But I don't necessarily think that means that they would like it for ourselves, no. Yeah, well, I'm not going down the line that it would be like, oh, this is a fantastic thing, but it's just like uh, they would kind of accept the fact that this is just the way modern football is. Now, Robin M comes in on the point on modern football saying, if Axon wants Celtic to be successful, they have to move with modern football sponsorship. If you want to be like St. Pauli, we'll have their morals, but then play League Two football and no Europe. Now, I mean, before you even look at naming Celtic Park, you're still looking at a team that qualifies for Europe every season. I mean, whether it be the Champions League, the Europa League or this new Conference League, Celtic will play in Europe pretty much 99 seasons out of 100. It's whether you want to progress in Europe and that's all about the money that you generate. And and as Kevin said in his original point, this is trying to bridge the gap now because of the the lost finances, because of this period that we've lived through with the pandemic. So, I mean, for me, I wouldn't be against selling the naming rights to Celtic Park, but I really do think it's important to get the right partner in. And Kevin... Given your own opinion on that, what do you think? I, I'm, I'm kind of an Amy's camp here. I'm completely against it, and I want my, I want my, um, I want my cake and eat it. I want Celtic to be really, really moral, and um, didn't sell, didn't sell their soul for money. But then I completely understand that the PLC board will sell their soul for money, and I just sometimes need to suck that up, and. They will look at selling the stadium. Then they will. It will be. That will be on. A, it will be in a file somewhere. They will have looked at selling the stadium name, and it will be back on the table in the next year or so. I think it will be one of those plans that's in the big filing cabinet alongside buying Wimbledon, alongside joining the, the British Super League or the Atlantic League. It will be one of the, the A to Z plans that might be pulled out once Dominic Mackay fully sits into his chair and picks his favourite tea and biscuit for the morning, as you boys have discussed on the Monday Club. But um, the point coming in here from John Caldwell, thought we were getting ordinary fans phoning in. Now, I would say, Kevin, you are a bit of an ordinary I'm fan. A, eh? I'm, I'm an ordinary book. But I guess what the, I guess what John's kind of alluding to is so far we've had both Kevins that are regular contributors to a Celtic State of Mind. The next person that's going to be joining us um, actually hasn't been on a Celtic State of Mind before, but this is a trial of this is the first time that we've done this. So we're just building up a bank of regular contributors that are going to be calling in. If you're a regular to um, Clyde Super Scoreboard, you'll know Laurie from Deniston that's always joining them. There's always a kind of regular base and it's important to get as many people to come across. So if you do want to get <laughs> Zinkovic coming in, Kevin is a extra ordinary fan uh, depends on what you say about that aye <laughs> aye aye Kev you went from being normal to extraordinary don't don't, don't, don't blow this one up <laughs> <laughs> But if you do want to get involved on a Wednesday when we will be having people joining us, get in touch with Paul, get in touch with a Celtic State of Mind. Um, we'll get the details and we'll work something out and we'll have you on future shows. Just like we've had Kevin on today. And Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, <laughs> Two down. How's it been? <laughs> Producer Paul, he's so quick on the buttons. Um, but yeah, Amy, two down. It's been some good conversation so far. Yeah, I'm okay. That has thrown me. <laughs> really thrown me. I want your answer next week. I want to know, and, and I want to know who you'd pick as a sponsor. Tunnocks. Tunnocks, Tunnocks Celtic Park. Eh? Free caramel wafer every time I you can through caramel the <laughs> That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> so we have someone just about to join us here. Um, yeah. We asked for a regular Celtic fan and we have brought into the, the conversation Frank Cole. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. 
What do you make of that, regular Celtic fans? Are you a regular Celtic fan, Frank? Can you uh, confirm that? I would guess I am, yeah. I'm probably, I probably look as old as Laurie through Dennis and maybe start to sound like him just now. And you can confirm you're a long time viewer, first time caller? That's the one, yeah. See, that's it. We've got the regular fans in, Amy, apparently. So, got Frank, the, well, got, <laughs> the, got the invite this morning, of course. Was well prepared, not. <laughs> Zinkovic just giving you a warm hail hail so welcome to the conversation Frank Frank you have your time to speak what would you like to discuss today? Well um, one of the things I had to discuss was that when, when Neil Lennon left you know did we have a plan or did we just hope it would get better? Mm. Um, and that's what I think was the case yeah, I mean, Amy, it's something we've discussed on here before. It's now, as we see going along uh, on the screen, it's 70 days since Neil Lennon departed the, cl- the club. I mean, the question should be asked is, would there have been much of a difference if Neil Lennon was still at the club now? Would things have changed that much? Well, as Frank said, what what has changed? We said we said it right at the top of the show. How, what What is it for, for Kennedy? Is it three wins and eight or something like that? Yeah, three and eight, yep. That's diabolical, and one will have been against Falkirk. Mm-hmm. That speaks for nothing. It's um, th- there has been no change. It's not even been the same. The, the team lineup hasn't changed. It's, it's 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 those basic things that could have shown a little bit of improvement. And and as Frank says, if there was a plan in place, then it's literally as good a plan as me planning that I'm going to write an essay. It's just totally fell apart. <laughs> that is not a, a stable plan put in place. Well, let's not make that joke. I've still got a uni essay to submit on Monday and I've barely started it. But Frank, looking at it, I mean, as Amy said, it's three wins in eight games. Have there been any changes to personnel, to tactics, to lineups that you've noticed since Neil Lennon left the club? Absolutely not. not nothing obvious. I mean, you, there's no, there was no, there's not been any change in the approach, the tactics, the formation. Um, I think the, the first team he picked was more or less a team that that I'd played, you know, not long before it. And uh, I think, although in fairness, I think the first game, it looked like there was a little bit more energy at first. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of died away. And that's another thing that, we, you know, we've got a problem with this season seems to be fitness. Um, but no, nothing nothing at all. And to be honest, there was a bit of an anti-climax, Neil Lennon leaving, because on the day it happened, or the night it was announced, it, it sort of gave you a little burst of energy that, oh, something's happening, we're going to have a bit of change. There's still enough time to get something out of the season but then it's just gone downhill and, and nothing has happened and there's it's very difficult as a fan to get motivated to even watch a game mm-hmm. or to even bother logging on but you do it out of duty and Sunday I mean my god that was a hard watch you know <laughs> uh, and uh, my grass get cut after the, the third game, you, know, <laughs> you know so there's been nothing at all I, I think getting back to the point I made though there was a lot of negativity about the club when Neil was there, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of us were, were in the same boat that his time his time had come, or that at least this had to be his last season. And there was, but there was a lot of horrible stuff on social media. There was that logo with Neil's face and the red line through it, and get pushed out. There was a fan protest. So, I, I think the board done it to take heat off herself, and mm-hmm. I think they thought that, that negativity would go away. But clearly, they had no forward plan in place. No, I think you're you're correct. And if I can, I throw this one out to you, um, Frank. Do you think that the board waited far too long to make that decision, and that is because they didn't have a plan B ready to go? Oh, absolutely, I, I, no doubt about it. I mean, we all know 
that the decision should have been made, you know, probably October, November at the latest. And the thing was that was the season was still salvageable at that time. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, even in even in December, um, it still was in our own hands to win the league. You know, yeah. still there. It was still possible to win the league. There's still enough games, enough points um, to win it. So, a change of manager would have been a massive positive, I think. Um, yeah. Amy, you take a look at. Sorry, Frank. Amy, you take a look at what happened across the league this season. I mean, Livingston getting rid of Gary Holt and replacing him with uh, David Martindale, it certainly had that big boost. Now, we spoke at the time when Neil Lennon was departing the club. The question was always about who should follow him out the door. Should John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan also follow him out the door? Would you get a temporary manager in between now and the end of the season? Or would you just get the next permanent manager to come in? And it feels as though, and there was a point just brought up, I think it was Jungle Lion he's called it Lenedy because there doesn't seem to be much of a change between the way that John uh, John Kennedy and Neil Lennon had set out the, the teams um, and Frank Arbuckle just coming in here just on the point that you raised Frank saying the board's plan for the whole season was to do nothing and hope things would get better irresponsible and unacceptable now going to, going to Frank's point Amy the board didn't have a plan they, they, they didn't they weren't ready to bring someone in between now and the end of the season that's why John Kennedy got the job and as I was saying, I think that's the reason why we waited so long to make this appointment. But for me, Neil Lennon could still be in that job and just announce that he was leaving at the end of the season. And the results that we've seen over the last eight games, nothing would have changed. Absolutely. And I think I think it was maybe Tony Haggerty who, who touched on it first. But if the board had confidence that Kennedy could have changed anything, then it would have been long before. Um, you know, we're talking about January time then, obviously, th- there should be mass changes put in place in October, November, of course, but not having Kennedy see it through to the season. But when the season was, was done and dusty that in January, then if the board had that confidence in Kennedy that they could see change could, and that he could see it through till the end of the season, then it would have happened then, not in that week in February, whenever it was that, that Lennon did get relieved. There has been no change. Lennon is absolutely terrific. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that's fantastic. Because that's what it has been. We've said time and time again, however many games it was going to be that he got with the... Um, with the Scottish Cup run or whatever, there, there was an opportunity here. Let, let, let's the youngsters through. Let's shake things up a bit. Go back to a four at the back. Go to a three at the back. Just anything. Try and maybe establish a, a number one goalkeeper. Right? Maybe he's, maybe has done that and been. Who really knows if it was the right call or not? Then that that's another issue. But there there has been no change. I think as Frank says, I don't think there was any change in that. His uh, Kennedy's first start eleven to to maybe Lennon's. The mm. fact that the, the fact that we're struggling to think of a name who's maybe came in under Lennon uh, Kennedy sorry proves that there hasn't been like a big a big reshuffle. It's the same guys. It's the same rotation. If Turnbull start, Christie start, if mm. Elianusi, whoever it may be. It's it's that same plethora of players that was at Lennon's dispense. I appreciate we've not got the biggest squad, but this is the time to to be delving in and deepen deepening into that um, youth setup. Let's mm-hmm. bring all those guys through. Don't just have Montgomery sitting on the bench. Absolutely. Don't give, I mean, don't give more guys in the, in the reserves that, or the youth team that could have come through, or we should have tried something. I mean, you know, we all talk about Lee Griffiths, but look. Lee Griffiths brings goals. If Lee Griffiths plays, Celtic play different. Celtic play in the other half. They play in attacking. Mm-hmm. He, he, I mean, he buzzes about. They've got the defenders. Have got to worry about someone else. He makes space, and whether he's fully fit or not, he's still a threat. Yeah. And I mean, we as the punters, 
we can see it, and you wonder why the professionals, the management team can't see it. You know, it's so obvious, and it's it's a bit like uh, they're finally starting to play tailed at left back. I'm not saying he's perfect, but you could see Laxal was, you know, a rabbit in the headlights half the time. Yep. Um, and, but as I say, just getting back to my main point, they clearly didn't have a plan. And the season we're in now, even pre COVID, next season was always going to be huge for Celtic because mm-hmm. if we'd got the 10, believe it or not, we would need to come up with something that motivated people to go for the next one because it's always been like we've hit the target, we've got there, we've yeah. done it. Yep. The motivation's fallen away one year too early, clearly. Um, and it was a big, big season for us. And Celtic Board have got a huge, huge job in their hands because I don't know where the money's going to come from. <clears throat> Excuse me. The players have gone down in value. Mm-hmm. There'll be a hardcore season ticket holders will renew because that's just the way it is. Yep. But this supposed waiting list with 15,000 people on it, well, that's going to get tested. Well, I can I can clarify on that. That 15,000 season ticket list doesn't exist anymore. Um, that was worked through this season so if anyone goes to join I think they're sitting at roughly around 2,000 so that just shows you how far it came down over this season which is understandable considering the financial position a lot of fans found themselves in at the start of the season just bringing this point up Paul Cunningham says Celtic board have to come out and talk to the fans how or not it's disgusting how they're treating the fans and that's been the kind of current theme across all the points that's been raised today Um, but well, you're here, Frank, I, I just want to ask you this point, right? We we mentioned about the, the kind of youth players coming in. Kennedy's potentially going to have two games left. He, I mean, if we look at it, there's going to be a new manager, but I, I can't see him coming in for these last two games. Kennedy's going to get these last two games. What can be done different in these last two games? You mentioned the youth players. Is he going to ch- try and change something up? We've spoke about him for the last week or so about being bold and going to Ibrooks and ha- actually having a goal, but it doesn't seem as if that's going to be the case. What can he do in these last two games that he can kind of go out with the, the smallest bang? Well, I think if there's players in the background, they'd get them in there. I mean, we had some players at the start of the season, boy, uh, Luca Connell and mm-hmm. other players. I know, I know it was pre-season. It was a game um, against Hibs. I think they played pre-season. They got boy was outstanding, you know. Mm. Um, and we can, I mean, I'm, I'm one of your Celtic dads. I can I can remember <laughs> at the end of the the infamous John Barnes stroke Kendall. Yes, yes. And we, and we went to um, a Tynecastle on the last day of the season. And Kendall, we threw in all the boys. You just Simon Lynch's and all that. These boys. And at one point, they were fighting over who would take a penalty. And I think they won four 0 on the day. So. I think you've just got those two mixed up, so I just want to clarify that for okay. someone that will come in and say it. 99-2000 season, we finished at home at Dundee United, and we right. won 2-1 that day. The reason I remember that so vividly was that was my first game at Celtic Park, okay. and Henrik, Henrik Larson came off the bench with a moustache on. That's producer Paul's favourite point. But I, but I remember the one that you're talking about as well. Yep. That was after we'd won the league under Martin O'Neill. We went to Tana, we went to Tynecastle on 1-4-0. Sean Maloney scored two and Simon Lynch scored two and the two of them fought over the penalty. Right. And I believe Simon Lynch was given the penalty. 
and I missed it. it. <laughs> so it could have been a hat trick for one of the two of them. But no, it's it's a good point. I'd love to see in the last game of the season, um, even the game Scott Brown's farewell game, as it's been put out to mm-hmm. be against St Johnston next Wednesday night. Now look at Connell's loan deal at Queens Park is finished. The, the league's finished. If he's available to be pulled into the squad, I'd love to see that. I'd like to see, like you mentioned, Amy Adam Montgomery getting a chance, Dane Murray getting a chance, Karamoko Dembele. It is about time that we say these players that don't have a future at the club, then you've played your last game that's it see you later and you actually give these boys a chance listen it counts for nothing we don't want to lose but it's not going to affect our league position so it's not going to affect us for next year Um, I'll give the young boys a boost I'll give the fans a boost but what's in that you set up there seems to be a lot of guys want to leave as well which is sad that is a really sad reflection just as Zink Kovic brings up a sad reflection oh god the Barnes era the stuff a nightmare as well I would say arguably this season's probably been the worst since the 99-2000 season so that's us going back in time I would agree and, I, and I, sadly there's so many similarities and Sunday at Ibrox was very reminiscent to us I think we went there and lost 4-0 mm-hmm. at the tail end of that season and then Martin O'Neill came in and you know yeah he got some money to spend but he also, like Rogers did, he managed to get some players who were there playing a different way. He brought on Petrov. He brought on, um, I mean, Bobby Peter. I mean, how bad was he until Mark Dora? <laughs> and all of a sudden he was a wonder player, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, that performance away at Ajax was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. He put Mialbi from midfield into centre-half. So things can happen. A, a new manager can look at things and get things out of players. But it's a massive rebuild. Massive yeah, and it's one that we'll keep an eye on here at a Celtic State of Mind. Bromsgrove boy, just with the final point in this section, saying no succession planning whatsoever, a perfect sh- a perfect storm, it's an omni-shambles, and that probably sums this up perfectly. And I think if you don't get your first-choice manager, we might still be sitting as we get closer and closer to the league season asking who will take over the hot seat, but fingers crossed we do get our number one target over the line. Frank, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, it's been great to have you, you on. Uh, our first regular fan, apparently. Yeah. Um but, no, Frank, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we'll take care and we'll hopefully speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Frank. There he goes. Three yeah. down. That was a nice one. Uh, a Celtic da, as he, he called himself. Uh, but, I mean, we went through three very important talking points today and it does show that the Celtic fan base has a lot on their mind and what they want to discuss and it goes back to the point that we're saying the disconnect between the fans and the club are the club actually aware that these are the the thoughts that's on fans' minds right now? Do they know what is potentially stopping someone from putting their hand in their pocket and renewing their season book this year? There's a lot of these things that I don't think the the board are actually listening to the, the fan base. I think they're picking and choosing when they listen, um, and but the, but then again, if, if they can't, if they're not hearing this right now, and the the, the general voices of, of Celtic fans across the board, then what are they listening to? Um, it's, it's worrying if they're not picking up on things like this. It certainly is, and we spoke about it before. But there's no way that there's nobody at the club not watching Axom or any of the other top top class Celtic um, podcasts that are kicking around. So. Yeah, point coming in here from Maravchik25 it just, It's discussing the kind of regression that we've seen Look at Man City last night Compared with them uh, We competed with them twice just five years ago Last night they'd have taken ten off us Now, 
Not on that point, but there was a, a picture I saw on social media over the weekend and it compared the first Celtic team that Peter Lawwell put out against... Well, I say Peter Lawwell put out. He doesn't really pick a team, or maybe he does pick a team. Who knows? Um, but when Celtic played in the first Glasgow derby, this was the Celtic team it was, compared to the team that started the game on Sunday. And it just shows you the difference in class of some of those players. We're talking about guys like Hartson, Sutton, Larson, uh, Mialbe, Lambert, and then compare it to some of the ones that played on Sunday and it's just like it's a really sad reflection Um, but one of the players that did play on Sunday or actually came off the bench was Ryan Christie and Alan Morrison's coming in here to tell us why we should keep him on for the foreseeable future Alan you know that Ryan Christie's my trigger word so you're going to have a big (laughs) job on your hands here but (laughs) you're the man with the stats so let's hear it yeah so thanks for having me on and uh, hi everybody yeah so listen Ryan Christie has become the latest sort of lightning rod I suppose for a lot of frustration it it does seem to uh, you know a fan for does tend to to kind of linger around a certain player. Believe it or not, not that long ago it was James Forrest who, of course, mm-hmm. is now one of the greatest players in the world by the, into the fact he doesn't play because he's been injured <laughs> and therefore his greatness just elevates, uh, of course. And and Christie really has become that, as I say, that lightning rod. I think it's probably for it seems like a couple of reasons. One is there seems to be a lot of chatter that perhaps you know is he looking to to move on. We don't know. I don't know that. I don't have any inside information on that. And, and then the, the second is from a performance perspective, the, this perception that, you know, especially around long shooting, that, you know, he's, he makes terrible choices and so forth. And, and, and actually, I'm going to start by, by saying that, you know, compared to last season when Christie was absolutely outstanding, he has regressed terribly on most of the key, the key stats. And, and, and that, is, uh, that is clear. I'm not going to sort of try and butter that up any other way. You know, he's down in terms of his expected goals, his expected assists, his actual contribution is, is even less than is expected, if you see what I mean. So not only mm. is he producing less... He's, he, he, the choices he's making uh, aren't, aren't necessarily good ones either. So I'm not, not going to kind of butter that up. Um, You're talking my language, Alan. Just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, want to, I just wanted to touch on the long shooting thing because I think that's that's become a bit of a, a cause celebre against people, you know, from people who, who want to kind of stick the boot into Christie. The reality is that last season he scored eight goals from outside the box. Now, I, I would challenge you and about somebody who can do a quick bit of Googling I don't know if there'd be another midfielder in Europe that would actually have scored uh, eight goals from outside the box other than perhaps a, a Messi, probably. Uh, eight, eight goals from outside the box is, is quite, a, quite a strong achievement. Um, in terms of, if, you looked at, if you look at his expected goals, it, that would have said he should have scored about three from those efforts. So, so what he did, of course, is massively overachieved compared to what, you know, what, what, what the expected goal model would say he should do. And guess what? This season, he scored five from outside the box. So actually not that, not that many less. And his expected goals is, guess what? Three. So you know, these are really small margins. You know, and he is taking more shots from outside the box but it's up about 4% than what it was last season. So but that small marginal increase in the number of shots he's taking and the fact that he's been slightly less successful, uh, albeit he's over-exceeding over, over what he, he would be expected to do, um, is quite an interesting uh, f- uh, factual background to build this model that you know his decision-making is uniformly rubbish when the reality is... <laughs> It's not actually that much different to last season. It's just that a few more went in. And therefore, our perception is that, you know, uh, very different based on that. 
Amy, I think most people on that watch on a Wednesday know my thoughts on Ryan Christie, so I'll throw it out to you. What have you thought of Christie's performances for Celtic this season? Has it just been a one-season dip, or was last season the anomaly? Oh, you know the word I was going to say. The Do I know? Ex- the, oh. exception, the exception to the rule, um, and he just had a very good season last year, and this is him back playing at the level that we expect of him. Yeah, it's not easy, obviously. Um, uh, as Frank, as um, Alan's highlighted there, sorry, that last season was astronomical. Do you know what I mean? They are ridiculous stats, they really are. But this season, I think he's been so below par. And I'm not even just meaning, I understand like the stats are there and I'm not going to argue with them. But it's, it's more his mentality that's got me this season and, oh, and his attitude. Um, that, that's what's got me. You, you look at him score a goal and he, he's not fast. There's no celebrations. I understand the fans aren't there, but I just don't think that he's happy anymore. And I think at the end of the day, you don't keep a player that's not happy at the club. He's always made it very clear, as is his dad, that, um, that progression is needed and that they've got massive expectations and want to broaden horizons and all of that sort of jazz. Basically, he wants to play in the Premier League. But... So, so I think I think you allow that because he's he's not happy. He's not playing with the I don't know the same sort of enthusiasm. There just doesn't look like there's that sort of connection that was there. I think um, he, he has become the whipping boy. Absolutely has. I think James Forrest coped with it. I don't think Ryan Christie does. I don't think that he likes being the whipping boy. Maybe James Forrest is a little bit quieter, a little bit calmer, and he still knows that he's got it in his locker and, and that he can produce. He knows. Maybe he's got a better support network around him. Who knows? But I just think that Celtic and Ryan Christie don't go together as well anymore. I think James Forrest and Celtic have always went well together. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. But I don't think Ryan Christie and Celtic going forward um, are a good partnership anymore. Now, Alan, if we look at it, Christie only has six months left on his deal. Technically, as of this summer, he could go out and negotiate a deal where he moves in the January transfer window. It's not a fact of Celtic not trying to tie him down. Celtic have offered him contract talks time and time again, and um, they've either broken down or they've just not been accepted. So what what would be the difference to keep Ryan Christie at the club this summer? Do, what do you think that it is that he's looking for? Or is it just the fact that maybe he is kind of winding down his deal, knowing that he's going to move away? Yeah, I, I don't honestly. I've got no insight into how how he's thinking. Uh, I don't know the politics of it uh, or the perceived facts of it. You could e- easily argue just by plucking a perception out there that you know he's waiting to see who the new manager is and, and the style of play and all manner of things. All, all I can all I can look at. I don't know how he's feeling. I don't know how happy he is when he gets up in the morning. I don't know what cereal he has. I don't know whether he has a good shower or a bad shower. Is that not part what, of the analytics? What, no. What came on the radio that Ex- morning? Expected Weetabix. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did that effect as we'd all can go on all I can go on are his performances on the park right and I, and I, and I don't measure the, the height of his eyebrow you know whether he's looking a bit displeased when he, <laughs> when he put one in or not, not celebrating quite as, quite as much as he should have but all I know is if you look across uh, I would say first thing is absolutely his form has dipped yes last season was a very tough one for him to emulate but but I would I, I've not done the I've not done the full kind of squad analysis yet but I think we can all see that there's virtually nobody Whose numbers, excuse me, are not significantly worse than they were last mm-hmm. season, because he's he's playing in a in a, in a fundamentally flawed midfield system, uh, which we don't want to yeah. get into in this call particularly. But, <laughs> but that, that 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 is that is the fundamental problem. Um, you know, he is a player who has, apart from that first run of games when he broke into the into the team after that Heart semi final, and he played eleven games as an as a box to box eight in a, in a midfield three. 
Mm-hmm. Since then, he's never played more than four games in the same position. He often plays in a different position in the same game. So yeah. that, I think that that you've got to factor that in. But he's still. I'm going to throw a few stats at you because that's 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 what I'm all about. He's still he's still the first in the squad in what I call packing stats, which is stats measure your ability to break lines with passes. He's he's ranked one there. He's second to El Yunusi in challenges one of midfielders and forwards. He's second to Ajeti, believe it or not, in drawing fouls. He's the top midfielder for uh, interceptions. He's only behind Forrest for making progressive runs. He's only second to Turnbull in passes that he makes into the danger area, which is the area in front of goal. He's third in the squad and says, I could go on and on and on. The point I'm making mm. is that Christie contributes to a high level on such a, a range of metrics. Uh, the way I would characterize him is he's not as defensively strong as Scott Brown, but he's probably second. He's not as he's not as creative as Turnbull, but he's probably second. He's not as much of a goal threat as Forrest, he's probably second. He he can he can contribute to the full range of uh, skill sets that you want from a midfielder. And that's why I would move heaven and earth to to, uh, to keep him. Looking at that, and it's someone that you brought up in there, and I wonder if that is the difference between the performances this season. And it's uh, the performances of David Turnbull. Now, I think a lot of fans, when they look at it, without looking at any of the stats, would suggest that the contribution that you're receiving from David Turnbull is what you actually got from Ryan Christie last season in terms of goals, shots from outside the box, assists, um, things like that. Is it then the struggle, Alan, to try and play two very similar players in Turnbull and Christie in the same side, considering the sort of formation that Celtic play? No, I disagree that with it, just in, the, in the sense that I would say they're similar. I think they're very different. Um, and actually, you know, this is, again, another reason why I would, I would definitely have Christie. You saw it on Sunday. I mean, who thought that starting a midfield of Turnbull, McGregor and Brown would have anything close to the just the physicality mm-hmm. and, 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 and um, aggression and running power to keep up with that midfield. Because whatever you think of them, you know, Aribo, Kamara, you know, uh, Kent, uh, Roof, they've got good energy, they're strong, they're physical, they get up and down. And, and to thought that that midfield would be able to cope with that, it was just, it, it was just, it, it, it's the same if you'd swap Brodrick in. So what Christie mm-hmm. gives you and what Sorrow gives you uh, is, is, is more intensity, more uh, uh, defensive cover, uh, a more ability to, to to win the ball back, which Turnbull doesn't really have. Turnbull's not a particularly quick player. He's not he's not fast over the ground. His defensive play is is, is fairly average. He's more of a, a traditional ten. Christie's more of a what I'd call an eight, a box to box. And if you've got, if you had a midfield on su- Sunday of um, you know McGregor holding between the Christie and, or a Sorrow holding, sorry, between and a McGregor and Christie playing in those eight positions, that's a pretty decent midfield that carries goal threat. You can get the ball forward. Uh, they can run with the ball. You know they're going to break lines, and also they can they can get back and do the dirty stuff as well. And so I, I think you can absolutely play those uh, those two players in the same in the same team, Christian Trumbull. They do very different roles. Yeah, and Amy, looking at it, we just mentioned he's got six months left in his deal. The stats that Alan's producing, they're very impressive, and it, it kind of gives you a, a different option to the way that we look at football. I mean, you, you look at Christie's performances this season, we'll say though they're, they're far below par. But as Alan's saying, he's maybe only second to the best player in the team. 
I mean, you're talking about second to Turnbull, second to Forrest, things like that. So, uh, although he's not leading the stats, he is up there and he is producing. Uh, Kevin Graham's coming in here saying Christie will wait until the last minute to make a decision after the Euros. He'll be hoping for a few good games for Scotland and we'll see mid-table EPL sides coming in for him. Now, if you read the, the reports in the newspapers, the, the teams that are in for him at the minute are Norwich and Burnley. Now, he was linked with Burnley last summer and that didn't go ahead. Do you think Ryan Christie's looking for that kind of move or is he looking at maybe his friend and Stuart Armstrong or maybe even Kieran Tierney to think that I don't want to go to that sort of team I want to go to that kind of bigger team and if that bigger team doesn't come along then a contract extension at Celtic would be his second option There is that pathway there has to be obviously it was well documented how close he is with with Armstrong and Tierney alike so it's naturally you see your pal doing well of course you're going to think right why, why can't I do that What what's he got that I've not what's Stuart Armstrong doing that, that Christie's not and yeah of course Armstrong left on the back of a, a tremendous season at Celtic not just a tremendous career but uh, the, the, his final season at Celtic was, was top notch as in comparison to, to Christie's it, it quite hasn't been I think the big thing there I, I do agree with Kev I can see him potentially trying to do that with the Euros but you look at back in what was it November so qualified for the Euros you're looking right mm. Steve Clark there is no way that he could not start Ryan Christie in, in the Euros in the summer you look right now you look at that Scotland setup. do you think that Ryan Christie is going to be a starter those last four games I think he maybe started one game for his country there are players ahead of him now there's there's a the system hasn't changed dramatically. You know, if, if McTominay, obviously, if he moves into midfield, Shea Adams is a new dimension, right? Ryan Fraser's back in the fold. So things are changing. But even right now, Christie, everything that's went wrong, basically, it's just over the last six, six months, has had a huge detrimental effect on his, um, on his Scotland career as well. Now you're looking at, now that's 26-man team now going to the Euros. That mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's David, confirmed, Jim. If David Turnbull's not a part of that, then... Well, that's a different issue, but it, it looks, it has to be a near guarantee that, that he's going to be one of those additional names. It'll be frightening if he's not. Now, right now, can you really be picking Christie ahead of his teammate when he's team, in, in a Scotland set when in Celtic, Turnbull's getting getting the nod ahead of Christie? There's a lot of dimensions there. So it's a tricky, it's been a tricky period, but I can see him trying to hold out for, for that bigger club move I don't see you know we're, we're talking about him that he's wanting that sort of progression and he's wanting mm-hmm. that next big step is what is a Burnley and no disrespect to Burnley but and is a Norwich is Norwich will most likely be battling relegation or they'll be in that bottom half who knows maybe they won't be maybe they'll do a I don't know they'll do a Sheffield United the last year and totally run away but it is, it's not going to as you see that sort of typical you know Southampton or that more mid-range sort of table the league side so I, I can see him potentially holding out for that because he, he does he's got that little bit we all talk about that little bit of arrogance that he's got as well he'll see that he has the ability and the capabilities to, to go to a side like that yeah, definitely, and that's that's a really good point. It's kind of what is his options come this summer, um, and as I said, I, I think he'll struggle to get in that that Scotland team up front. Mm-hmm. You look at guys like John McGinn, um, e- even I mean, you'd think Callum McGregor would probably get in there ahead of him at the minute. James Forrest coming back into it, Ryan Fraser, all these guys you mentioned. If you move McTominay up to, into centre mid, there's there's certainly a lot of options to play in that role. Um, and Steve Clark's got his favourites as well. You see guys like um, McLean being called up from Norwich. 
pitch and as you mentioned Turnbull as well so Christy will have to do well to, to get in that team and I'm sure that's what he'll be working on in the squads Highland Paddy too coming in saying Celtic get Alan in get the laptop boy out <laughs> laptop boy I think you're referring to Gavin Strachan I mean it's an easy target to have a go at the laptop I mean I got I got some abuse for saying um, this is modern football it's like look we, we agree with the stats we, we know that's the future of football but when someone's doing their job poorly and it looks as if they're relying on a computer it's an easy target it's a, it's a quick joke it's not something that's serious look at the amount of abuse that um, the, the boy at Hearts got um, when he took over because it was all it was the down as the sort of football manager manager um, it was himself and Austin McPhee and his name's totally slipped my mind but, Ian Cathro Ian Cathro Ian Cathro Ian Cathro that's the name um, but sorry Alan getting back to talking about Strachan Kennedy and Lennon that has been a major talking point of Celtic's performances this season is that so many players have regressed and the question has been why now for a lot of people they'll say it comes down to the coaching behind the scenes when Celtic appoint this new manager if it is someone like Eddie Howe is that the kind of rebirth for a lot of these players say Ryan Christie was to sign a new deal and was to be there next season is that what he is needing in his career right now to develop him back to the level that he was at is actually the coaching team behind the scenes and that when we look at this season we go well it's got a lot to do with what was happening off the park instead of on it yeah I mean I, I maybe maybe it's a little of me choosing to be optimistic but as, as quickly as things have unraveled uh, I think things can turn the other way I mean you know it wasn't that long ago that pretty much the same group of players at, at Ibrox were, were you know would have been you know pelted with tomatoes off the pitch losing at home to Hamilton and to Hearts and the in the cup, the same management team were get were wanting to get chased. Things can change very quickly, and Celtic have absolutely been the authors of their their own uh, downfall. And, and can those same can can many of those same group of players, uh, you know, turn around and actually perform better? I think I think they can. Um, you know, the 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 the, the, the absolute you know the, the gaping gap in central midfield is is the biggest issue. And if you solve that one problem. Um, then you're going to go a long way to helping the rest of the structure because mm-hmm. the, 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 the having to cover that central midfield position has a hugely detrimental impact on Callum McGregor's game for a start. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and seeing and, and seeing him having to cover defensively, he, he gets into fangles like he got into on on Sunday where he's making ridiculous tackles at the edge of the box because you know Brown isn't quick enough. Yeah, to he's get covering anymore. far too many positions. Yeah. The, the the lack of the lack of um, ability the lack of recruitment to to fill those to fill that six position and the two fullback positions have had, have had a massive impact as were the as have the decisions made in recruitment uh, this season around picking players that were wholly unsuitable to the way that Celtic play and and you know the players like Laxalt and Duffy were just absolutely unsuitable to, to Celtic style and what, what what they were trying to trying to achieve. And there was no nothing in the data, nothing in their performances that would have suggested they would fit in to the way that Celtic wanted to play. So yes, these things are recoverable. I think you 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 have got a, a core, albeit it's a dwindling core of players. <laughs> that that if you that Julian you, one you know it wasn't even mentioned in 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 the I think the, the, any of the last three derby matches that Christopher Julian is is been missing. He's mm-hmm. had an absolutely massive miss all season because that Julian Ayer partnership is the most effective, statistically most effective 
since you know Denier and Van Dyke played together for a season. So mm-hmm. it was absolutely massive. And then, of course, the goalkeeping debacle. So all of those things are fixable. <laughs> now, can they all be fixed in the in the short term? We don't know. Uh, but there's certainly, I think, you know, it, 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 just some basic organisation. I think at the point that you made earlier, Amy, about fitness to me is is absolutely massive. If you look at the if you look at Celtic's performances in games, chances come in clusters. There's no sort of sustained pressure. There's no sustained, uh, you know, and 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 and, and also then the, the substitutions are absolutely bewildering. They were under Lennon, and they're continuing to be under Kennedy. Those things can all be fixed with with the right people in charge. I think. I don't know if you met you saw just before you came on, Alan, but someone is. Uh Term that coined the phrase Lenity because nothing much has really changed. But I mean, it's, a, it's a really interesting point about this rebuild that's coming up in the summer. Now, a lot of con- a lot of comments come in saying Celtic need 12, 15, so many different players in the summer. And I think everyone's kind of accepting the fact that this isn't going to be done in one transfer window. But for me, what you've got to look at is you've got to look at perhaps going back to when Brendan Rodgers took over at the club. Now, he only brought in, I think it was five or six players in that first transfer window, but he brought on so many players that were already there. Players that we thought were going to depart the club, guys like James Forrest, um, whose contract was pretty much running down and then he re signed the deal. So when you look at players like Ryan Christie, if he was to stay, James Forrest, even Greg Taylor, Callum McGregor, um, even Albin Ayeti, you're looking to try and get a tune out of maybe five or six of these players and then bring five or six in to supplement it so that eventually yeah whoever the new manager will be whether it be Eddie Howe whether it be whoever will get his own team that he wants but it is a building block and you can't just throw everything together at once it's, it's going to take time to get there yeah it's going to take time and, and you absolutely we have to look at with, from within as well but I think going back to as you see even with Rodgers and you're, you're looking at it right now I think at the end of the day the, the, we can we can talk about stats and we, we absolutely can if performance has been there this season or not but if the the conundrum even Forrest with Rogers and Christie, if if that's what we're drawing up on, Forrest with Rogers and Christie with whoever and this may be. Forrest wanted to be at Celtic. You could see that he still wanted to be at Celtic. I don't see one inch of Ryan Christie who that wants to be at Celtic. And the, the player has to be happy. There is no point in having a player in this team, in this squad, in this setup, in this rebuild, in any sort of transition if he doesn't want to be here. If he's going if he's going to run down his contract till January and totally run it down and leave the club f- for nothing for him then there is no point having him for these six months. Like I said, the, his performances this season, and I'm not just, I, I'm not drawn into that whole however many poor shots or whatever from outside the box, because uh, as um, as Al's alluded to, he does, I understand, also there's, there's the jokes and whatever, but he, he can score from outside the box, he absolutely can, and I'd like to see many others do it, and they aren't. But I don't see a single bit of him that in his performance and his attitude and anything in celebrations that he wants to be at the club. And and for me that that's the biggest thing. If a player wants to be there, fine. That's when you can get a tune out of him, get a development. Hence why Rogers could get something out of Forrest. I could still see it maybe happening with McGregor right now. I can see Taylor, you can get a tune out of Taylor. He wants to be at Celtic. You listen to him talk, he wants to play for Celtic. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hope McGregor still does. Forrest, I think he's more than comfortable. He's in a comfort zone. And you look at how, how he's um, he's worked on his rehabilitation this season, it looks like he's wanting and raring to go to get back. Christy, on the other hand, I don't see it. I don't. So uh, it's just going to end. I'm going to kind of finish this up with a simple question. And it's probably a one-word answer. If 
the option was there to extend Ryan Christie's contract by a further 12 months. Should the club take it? No. No. Alan? Yes, I do agree with Amy. Uh, sorry, I know you wanted one word. I do agree with Amy. Obviously, if a player doesn't physically, you know, really doesn't want to be there, then we've seen what happened with the Dembele and Boyata debacles. That it's, it's counterproductive for everybody to uh, to be in that situation. So I would agree. If he wants to go, fair enough. I just think maybe a, a how who, who, someone that I know likes Christie could persuade him to stay for the right reasons in a positive sense. Then I would be for that. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting one to see what happens with Ryan Christie. I think it will come down to performances at the Euros, as Kevin Graham mentioned, and then what options lie there in front of him. Perhaps also with a new manager coming in, as you mentioned, um, Alan, if it is Eddie Howe, you've seen what he's done with Ryan Fraser down at Bournemouth. Perhaps you could get the same sort of thing out of Ryan Christie if he was to stay. But it'll be one that we'll keep an eye on, on a Celtic state of mind. And Alan, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, It's been a great contribution, a great discussion. I I didn't get that triggered around Ryan Christie, so you obviously done a great job. I didn't, I didn't actually, did I? I'll try harder next time. Thanks for joining us, Alan. All right, take care. Take care. So Amy, we've we've got through it. It is the first Celtic, uh, sorry, Axon dialing. That didn't go too bad, eh? I went okay. I'll come back next week. <laughs> uh, uh, well, when you do come back next week, I do want to know who your sponsor is going to be for the stadium. I will think about this. Yeah, about this. Uh, this should be all you think about for the next week. Don't worry, I'm on. <laughs> uh, if you've enjoyed watching that today and you want to get involved, um, do get in touch with Paul um, and he'll set that up for you to get involved next week. You can join me and Amy and discuss anything that you'd like about Celtic um, past, present or future. Um, I'm sure there's plenty to discuss. Po- uh, sorry, John Paul Mason and Declan McConville. Join Paul John Dykes tomorrow on the 12.30 Bulletin. Ah, it's, I, I'd been on a good run until this week. It's put me off. Um, but they'll be back tomorrow at 12.30 to discuss everything else that's happening in the world of Celtic. Um, it's been great to have you all here. Please do continue to get involved on the social media platforms. We're on Facebook. I think our Facebook group's sitting at just close to 7,500 members, so do get involved there. On YouTube, it's getting closer to 11,500 subscribers, so we're getting there. Um, and as always, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us on A Celtic State of Mind today. As always, take care, stay safe, and a massive hail hail. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.